Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Jackman Radio. We are doing a throwback classic kind of format tonight. Uh, Eric and I are just going to go over the news and our uh, thoughts and feelings on things that are going on right now. Eric, how's it going, man? <laughs> it's good, dude. It was uh, what a fun Saturday it's been. The weekend is just unbridled joy for us and for everybody else, but uh, I'm doing great, man. This is fun. Tonight's episode is sponsored by Modelo. It's uh, True Detective Season 2, right? Oh, major True Detective Season 2, Colin Farrell vibes. When he's at the bar, he's at that Vince Vaughn's Mafia dive bar, just doing Johnny Walker Blue Label, chasing it with Modelo. He's just downing him, and the bartender's like, you know, you, you tying one on? He's like, not really. I know Vince Vaughn asked him if he's tying one on. You trying to tie one on? Not really. And then he looks at the bartender. He's like, why don't you try that again? He pours another one for him, dude. The oh. self-loathing. The self-loathing in Season 2 is incredible. I would recommend recommend everybody go back and revisit it that's what i love mike you always mount a robust defense of season two because when you say do you watch true detective everyone goes yeah season one and then they're like i didn't really like season two and then they're like season three was incredible <laughs> i hated season two season three was okay but i went season one i'm like your fucking season two is awesome yeah but season season one though mike dude it's all oh, oh. no that first season of true detective was truly horrifying I mean, it really was, dude. You go back. I rewatched it um, last year when season three came out. Season three, which was incredible, too, by the way. If, if anyone hasn't seen season three, I really liked it. I thought Stephen Dorff and uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Maharashtri Ali, were, were awesome, who played Remy in, in uh, um, House of Cards. He's a fantastic actor. Um, they, they, they played it over three different timelines where they were investigating a, a child's disappearance and Obviously, the writer of that show, dude, that guy's looked into the Franklin scandal. He's looked into major crimes that, that, that the elite and wealthy people have been doing for the last 50 years, and he incorporated that into his show. And he, yeah. did, it in, dude, he did it in all three seasons. If you really read between the lines about True Detective, and, and uh, yeah, if anyone hasn't seen it, man, it's one of the better, one of the better crime dramas that's yeah, out it's, there. It's Mayor, Mayor Shala Ali is the actor. Okay, sorry if I messed up his name. <laughs> no, he's awesome, though. He was he fucking awesome. awesome in that. Oh, yeah. He was really good. And, uh, no, season two, you know, it gets shit on a lot, but I really liked it. I really liked the, the scenes between Vince Vaughn and Colin Farrell. Um, I love the soundtrack. I was so compelled by it that I, I went and saw the gal there, Lara Lynn, who's in the uh, – she appears in the show as a kind of a strung-out singer-songwriter playing at this dive bar. It's just, just, it's just great. It just, it reminds me of a lot of years I spent in Connecticut, you know, going to. <laughs> That's why it resonates with you because you played in those shit dive bars. <laughs> yeah, you know, playing live shows, you know, down in uh, uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, certain spots in New Haven. Um, you know, I got a lot of love for Connecticut. We were actually just there last week, man, picking our cousin up from the train um, from New York City. We got to go to some of the best pizza in the world. You know, that's a. That's a real debate and a point of contention among uh, foodies and people who are, you know, who actually, you know, know what good food is. I would say New Haven's up there, man. I've had pizza in New York City. Um, I would just write off New Hampshire. I'm just going to say, as someone who's lived in New Hampshire the last 23 years, dude, in terms of pizza, it's just a bunch of, it, it's mostly, and I, you know, I'm sure that someone's going to be like, oh, you haven't tried this, you haven't tried that, you haven't been to every place. No, I haven't, but I, I'm a big boy, and I've been to enough places where I know that it fucking sucks. <laughs> and it's cardboard with really awful, heartburny fucking sauce that comes in a can with cheap shredded cheese and the cheapest ingredients, 
and they throw it together and fucking sell it to you and sling it at you for $17, and it just fucking sucks. Then the rest of your day is terrible, but not New Haven. Talk a little bit about New Haven, your pizza experience down there. Dude, it was, it was as advertised and then some. It was overall just a great experience going to New Haven. I, I haven't spent a lot of time down there, man. Only Perif and then that time in 08 when I fucking drove down there to Yale. You went with, to Skull and Bones with Jim with Fetzer and Elds? Fet, well, no, I drove down there with Elds. Um, did we pick Fetzer up? Yeah, and, you guys did. Yeah, so we drove, we drove to Yale, of all places, to pick him up because he was staying with a dude there. And he fucking, oh, so good. And we picked him up, and he's like, I'm like, oh, Jim, we're down here. We have to go to Skull and Bones. He's like, of course we have to go to Skull and Bones. <laughs> And he's like, I think it's just over yonder. I think it's just over yonder in the quad. You know, you're walking there like there's security, but the security is not like none of you guys were matriculated there. And he was not a professor there. No, no. He was on a book tour to promote, you know, whatever fucking slap together quackery that he had at the moment. You know, it was so entertaining. And he's like, I think it's just over yonder. And uh, it's almost like fucking the kids go to grandma's house. Like, <laughs> like fucking Little Red Riding Hood. Meanwhile, it's this fucking place where the elite gather when they're just post-prepubescent to, to get together. And uh, anyway, sorry, I continue. Yeah. You. So we, we went, made our way to the Skull and Bones tomb and looked at the door, you know, took some pictures in front of it. You know, it's creepy. There's a creepy, creepy vibe down there, dude, that you don't get anywhere else. You guys cheesed it up a little bit too. Like, yeah, kinda... it was fun. It was fun. But so back to getting back to pizza, uh, you know, fucking dude, Pepe's was incredible. It was, it was, uh, well, the first place we went to was, um, uh, modern, modern, modern. pizza, which was They've good. Both been there for a long time. Yeah. Modern pizza was good. I enjoyed that. But in the back of my mind, everyone's like, no, Pepe's. So we had to go back to new Haven uh two days later and we're like yeah we're, we're gonna we're gonna couch time into this trip to go to pepe's and we went to pepe's and it was got the white clam the crust was beautiful thin low heartburn you know it was, it was awesome dude the quality was really good dude. Not, best pizza i've had in a long time not too much sauce yeah they don't overdo it with the sauce and the thing is about these places, these are institutions. And when people harp on about them and you see, um, you know, because I've, I've seen videos and advertisements and stuff about both places. Uh, Modern's been there since 1934 and Pepe's has been there since 1925. So 95 nine, years and 86 95 years. 95 years, 86 years respectively. So you're talking about <laughs> people who know what the fuck they're doing when it comes to pizza. So <laughs> the greatest the, generation lives on. The wait was only 45 uh, minutes. The, well, the way that Pepe's was a little longer because they, you know, they had the whole the COVID oh. shit going on. So you had to go in and order your pizza and then come back out. And then, you know, they, they were very uh, uh, efficient with it, though. Yeah. Oh, like clockwork, dude. Very efficient. Very, for a high-stress situation that they're all enduring, very polite, actually. <laughs> Friendly. <laughs> what I loved about Modern was that they had pictures of draft beer. Yeah. I mean, there's just not many places that do pictures of beer anymore. Besides bowling alleys, you know? <laughs> yeah, and then VFW, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Nothing better than a pitcher of cold Bud Light. But yeah, no, Pepe's was great, Mike. I'm glad we went, dude. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the gigs I've played in Connecticut over the years, I never really – I don't think I ever really – I went to – I think I had the pizza at bar, which is really good. I mean, really the best stuff is, is the thin crust, and they do the, you know, the, oven, the brick oven or, or they have a really old – 
you know, means of, of uh, baking. But the ingredients are all really good quality. The cheese is good quality. There's not too much sauce. Um, they, know, they know what they're doing. So, and I've had pizza in New York City, certainly, you know, two, three in the morning. And that's really good, too. And all of our family in New York City says it's the water. It's the water that makes a difference. So I'm, I'm inclined to believe them. And maybe New Hampshire can go down there and get a clue on how to make pizza. We know how to do maple syrup. We know how to fucking have guns in every house. We could not make a pizza for the life of us. I don't know. It's true. So what else and, is going on? Yeah. Well, you wanted to talk about Rogan. You were Give your initial thoughts on Rogan. I, I got, I'll be right back. So I think it's, uh, you know, Rogan recently signed that deal with Spotify for, I think, $100 million. And, you know, some people are saying, okay, he's their employee now. So he has to go by their guidelines. And a lot of people in like right wing media are talking about how there's certain editors and employees of Spotify um, who want to have, you know, last rights of refusal when it comes to editing and talking about what Rogan can say, what he can't say, um, you know, what subjects he can touch on, which guests he wants to have on. And, uh, you know, some of Rogan's fans are like, you know, what the hell, man? Uh, this is not the Rogan that we know and love. And, uh, you know, we're used to him being able to have on who he wants to have on. And one of the great things about Rogan, for anyone that follows him or listens to the show, is that, you know, let's say there's a big name out there and, and, and that big name is in the news in that moment. Rogan, get that person to come on his show really quickly. Like amidst a huge controversy or a news cycle, he's got the frigging clout and the sway to get that person to come on and talk about those issues in a way that the mainstream media just can't do. So, and I, I would argue he's got a bigger audience than the mainstream media. Rogan so, gives you the whole story. Well, it's long form, man. He lets he lets his guests talk. Um, he's able to ask questions that everyone else wants. He's like he's like what Howard Stern used to be, man, in the eighties and nineties before he just became like a fucking chill for the DNC. Before he was no. cocked. Yeah, before he got cocked. You know, oh, I changed. Oh, no, you, you still fucking love tits and ass, buddy. You're just lying about it, you know? <laughs> maybe he, I don't know, maybe he's like 65 and he has changed. I know he had a health scare and that can change you, but he's still getting paid a buttload of money. He, and he's just virtual signaling. Dude, Trump is the best guest he ever had. <laughs> he talks about, you know, uh, great, okay, he didn't support Trump during the election. He didn't vote for him, whatever. Who cares about that? But he needs to recognize, man, that Trump was one of the best guests and, and consistently one of the best guests, most listened to and most popular that he ever had on in, in the entirety of his whole show. You know, I mean, like, right? during Trump's presidency, Howard's one of those people that he's not really attacking because you do. You got to know Baba Booey sitting on a fucking treasure trove <laughs> of just oh, like dude, stuff, stuff that didn't even make it on Howard Stern, man. That's how nasty it was. Oh, you know, I mean, even the stuff that was on there, man, with him and Ivanka and him rating women. Uh, it's incredible. If they're like ones or tens and oh, God, it's just, dude, this, imagine if the founding fathers saw where the presidency was now in 2020. I mean, like, they were doing that, but they didn't have some fucking guy there recording them. They didn't have Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Jefferson and Washington and all, all of them. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean there, was, there was a gentleman's agreement in the Kennedy White House that they knew about the mistresses, but they were not going to talk about it. Yeah, because, you know, you know, they were hoping to get dates with the mistresses, too. The well, they were, yeah, they're like, wow, you know, I know about this. Kennedy's doing it. You know, maybe maybe I can go out with her later. Oh, yeah. Washington Post incredible. So do you think do you think Rogan's going to go down in flames, Mike? Or like, what do you think is going to happen with this? I think there's going to be some growing pains, but I think he's going to find his footing. And I think it's going to take time. And uh, everyone's bitching about his studio and how it's 
built and designed the layout. And yeah, it kind of does look like the entrance of an arcade now down in Texas. But <laughs> really the fundamental point of, of Rogan's whole deal is none of that should matter. It's, it's, it's a couple people and a couple microphones having a real conversation. And that's the heart and soul and crux of what Rogan does. And nobody does it, be- nobody does it better right now. So, you know, you're going to see other podcasts emerging and forms of media trying to knock him off or take his place or attack him. But the dude, the dude's, he's hustled, man. He's had some of the most epic podcasts and interviews. Like, you know, we'll try to get a guest on and, you know, maybe they're interested, whatever. We obviously, we have a small audience. Uh, we're growing. And then Rogan will get them on. And we'll, you know, it's like, oh, I wanted to talk to that person and now there's no way we're ever going to be able to, or maybe, maybe Rogan had them on and they flamed out and you could get them now, you know, who knows, but it's just interesting that we've like Tom O'Neill was one of his most popular episodes he did in the last uh, six months to a year. The guy who wrote chaos about Charles Manson and Bugliosi and the Helter Skelter case. I was emailing with, with O'Neill last year, a year ago about coming on and maybe we could still get him on after I finish his book, but I'm about, I'm about 400 pages almost into that book. And it's, it's interesting. What is it like five, 600 pages? I mean, Jesus yeah, Christ. It's like no one 50, 500 pages. <laughs> You're like, Oh yeah, just I've read 400 pages. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm getting there a lot. Well, we'll see, man. Notes. You know, yeah. I said to those guys earlier on the podcast that I was on, I said, you know, Joe Rogan, I wish him well. I just, I wish him well. I just wish him well, you know? Yeah. We just we we wish Prince we wish we wish Prince Andrew well and his you know his uh, golf trips that he's taken. Yeah. So that what's going on? He he was flown to Ireland for twenty grand. Tell me yeah, about this. Well, that, dude, that's a drop in the bucket. Like I like look, I get it. Like we should be outraged about that shit. I mean, dude, think about gassing up your car. How fucking expensive that can be sometimes if you're just like going tri-state. You know, these fucking assholes are like flying helicopters and planes and security details and they're going to other countries and, you know, who's footing the bill for that? Yeah. Where does 20 grand come from? 20 grand was a, uh, was a a fart from Epstein, you know, that went to Prince Andrew's face. But, but beyond that, dude, the Royals have spent almost $7 million on travel. So I don't know why they're just focused. Since when last year on just him? Just overall in, 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 in recent years, you know, they've, they've well, spent... Uh, yeah, there's more eyes on them now. I mean, they're finally getting an audit that they've been long overdue for, you know. Well, Prince, Prince Charles did a trip to Oman um, just this past January that, that cost, you know, almost $270,000 for charter flights and, and to go see the Sultan and, uh, well, to go pay tribute to the Sultan who died. One of, I don't know. They're just, it's just business, dude. They're arms dealers. They're drug dealers. They traffic humans. They're fucking disgusting. You know, yeah. all, the, the queen should just fucking serve tea to people, man. That's like all she's good for. You know, all those people, <laughs> dude, everything that Morrissey's been saying about the royal family for almost the last 40 years is spot on. It's 100% true. They're disgusting. They're useless. The only good one that ever came out was Princess Diana, and they probably fucking killed her. You know, because she saw the writing on the wall. She saw how horrible they were. You know, do you think they, her and Prince Charles probably had separate bedrooms, you know, on the honeymoon? Yeah. You know, they're just yeah. awful. They're fucking awful, dude. The royal family fucking sucks. Yeah, they are. They suck. <laughs> Fuck them. What, what's the best thing Morrissey said about them, Mike? Like, what's, what's been his best knock artistically and what oh. he's publicly said? Well, I mean, he's, you know, <laughs> he's been doing his dead. voice. Uh, the queen is dead. And I mean, you know, he's. I mean, he's he's just been critical about them and their outlandish ways, um, you know, 
going back to the 80s, you know, going back to, to Thatcher and... Yeah, know. that all inspired V for Vendetta. That had to have. I mean, he one time, he compared the Queen to, to Gaddafi at one point. <laughs> Gaddafi was probably a little nicer than the Queen, you know, in all honesty. That, was, yeah, that, old bitch, that old bitch has been around for like almost 100 years, man. I mean, how many kids do you think they've had to like try to purify and juice and blend to get her to where she is now? <laughs> where she, where she can still do a decree and people listen to it. It's like unbelievable. Dude. Trump has to go and see her. That, that had, that's going to be one of the, the funniest, most lesser talked about aspects of Trump's trips abroad. We sent The Apprentice, the Big Mac eating Stormy Daniels fucking, you know, Rosie O'Donnell besmirching Donald over there to meet with the Queen of England. That in itself makes a comedy routine. Didn't he step in front of her like out of place when he wasn't? Like, <laughs> he, he didn't fall with the corn. He's like, look, Kevin Spacey was jizzing on the throne. Like, why are you mad about this? <laughs> Kevin Kevin Spacey was just here with Ghislaine Maxwell doing things like he wouldn't believe. You know, unbelievable stuff with the jet and the bingo, bunga, bunga, bunga. <sighs> but he he went over there, Mike. No, he definitely didn't follow protocol. And then there was a picture of him sitting in like Churchill's chair or something. He was, he was in some chair, you know, he probably ate a Big Mac and farted in the chair, you know? Oh yeah. He left a Folger stain on the Prince's Royal fucking seat. (laughs) (laughs) Only Rosie O'Donnell. Incredible dude. It's so hard not to love him though, dude. Thinking about that, like him, him going over and doing that because we we would all like to insult the royalty to their face. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people are over it, man. You know, you got your people who are going to just, just follow the tabloids and think that they're all great. And I mean, why do, why, why do the younger couple, why do they kind of like try to publicly want to defect and come to America and get some griff going with, I don't know, Disney or Netflix or whatever they were going to do. Right. Didn't, was it Meghan Markle and Mm. Prince? uh, I don't know. Who's the younger Prince who dresses a Nazi at the Halloween party? Is that Prince? uh, There's Harry and there's a, who's the younger one? Prince, uh, William? William? I don't know. Which, which, you know, fucking, yeah. They're just, they're just a bunch of assholes. But that, you know, they, be, they don't have, they, they don't have real jobs. They've never had to work a real job. You know, I mean, Prince Andrew, dude, Gouffre, man, Virginia Roberts Gouffre's got your number, buddy. That shit happened. Nobody uh, believes you. Okay, that fucking BBC interview that he did, dude, last year. I don't. Swear. Why did he? Why did he do that? His handlers clearly just didn't have a handle on the situation. Uh, somebody spiked my tea that afternoon. And David you know, Ike's Daniel, like, Daniel, he's Daniel like, came. Dude, David Ike's take on the Royals, that's what I would direct people towards. What, whatever David Ike has said about them and, um, you know, uh, Morrissey. <laughs> well, look, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they've, they've, been, they've really been bosom buddies with pedophiles since the beginning. I mean, Prince Charles' uh, mentor was named Lord Mountbotham. Dude, you couldn't make it up, dude. Lord Mountbottom. <laughs> Go look that up, dude. That's they actually, like... the, the, the Count Chocula cereal was modeled after Mountbottom, you know? <laughs> was it really? No, I just made it up. But they <laughs> they looked at him, and they're like, let's put him on a creepy cereal box to lure more kids, you know? Well, dude, how about Jimmy Savile? That, that dude oh, had Jesus. access. Dude, he had yeah. access to, like, like Buckingham and, like, hospitals and morgues. He, he's there like, mugging, mugging it with all the royals. <laughs> he's just fucking, like, he just raided a sarcophagus and ate 15 corpses, you know? Oh. <laughs> These are the people they hang out with and promote. And that's how it's always been, you know? And, that's, and you know what? That veneer that, that is being ripped off, man, you know? Yeah. Should, the point of the story is, man, they should be made to get real jobs. And for their infractions, they should be treated just like regular people. Yeah. You know? They should no, have to true. mop the deck. Now we just uh, we just watched Devil all the time, and a couple of 
of our peers, Mike, who you've asked about this, who watched it, really enjoyed it. Tell us about Devil All the Time and who was in it and what, what do you think about it, dude? God, it was horrifying. I mean, it was, it was horrible. It was not fun sitting through that movie. It was north of two hours. But, I mean, that was a stacked cast. You had Tom Holland, who's the new Spider-Man. You had Jason Clark, who's a who great actor. The Terminator. Well, he was John Connor. Yeah, in right. and, and Genesis. Genesis. Which came, yeah, which was the one before the SJW one that came out last year. <laughs> we can ignore Genesis and the and we can Dark ignore Fate. all of them, dude. Yeah, we'll ignore all T- of them. T two. I only recognize one and two. <laughs> yeah, T- yeah. Terminator and Terminator and then, two. And then Claire. Da- I like Claire Dane. So you know, Rise of the Machines to an extent. That was Terminator three, Rise of the Machines. Yeah, with uh, Nick Stahl and Claire Danes, and that was pretty good. That, I, I liked the uh, Salvation with Christian Bale, the one where right. he yelled at the sound so, guy. But the point the- is, like, we had Spider Man, a dude from Terminator, and Batman in the same movie. Well, we had Robert Pattinson, who didn't even show up in the movie until oh, like 40, 45 minutes in. It's it's I- worth waiting for, guys. Trust me. <laughs> Robert Pattinson, anybody who doubts that he can't pull off Bruce Wayne and Batman, watch this movie. Watch the movie Good Time that he did with the Safdie brothers. I mean, the dude, the dude's probably the best actor of our generation. He's got He's the total, chops. He, dude, any, I mean, look, say what you will about Twilight. It's fucking horrible. It sucks. But since then, man, that, that dude has chosen roles that are, that are not, you know, he couldn't cash in on it and, you know, he could have. Could have done whatever he could have retired. Yeah, he did, he did Cosmopolitan with Soderbergh. Yep, he did or that movie. Co- Cosmopolis, what was it called? Oh, with, um, um, no, Cronenberg. Cronenberg. Yeah, he's like in a limo with Paul Giamatti yelling at each other for two hours. I mean, it's an exercise in, it's, in banality, it, but it's... It's Oscar buzzworthy, though. <laughs> <laughs> but look, look, he's a great, he is actually a great actor, that dude. Did you watch you, The Lighthouse? I haven't seen The Lighthouse yet. That, that's on our list mike isn't it it's on our list because i like willem dafoe i really enjoyed you know boondock saints and and uh, the florida project with willem dafoe there's still good movies out there man most movies now kind of suck and i spend more time cycling through to find a movie to watch than i do actually right. watching a movie but, but there's the devil all the time is worth watching it's it's yeah. it's it's stressful and then, and it's, then it, it's it disturbing had, it had the gal the pal- the polish gal from um Star, map to the stars yeah mia, um, what's her name wachowski mia wachowski her, her name escapes me exactly you might want to look it up but it also had um had one of the dudes from harry potter who played this crazy preacher who gets you know attacked bitten by like snakes and spiders and the movie yeah. is really it talks about war it talks about religion it talks about family trauma there's so much going on in this movie one of the things i really liked about it was by the end of it there's so much that pays off and ties in together within the story, um, you know, which can act, which can happen in life, which is weird. You know, you hear stories years later about a relative or a friend or someone who died. And you know, it's, it's a, it's just an interesting character study. And I think Tom Holland does a great job anchoring the whole thing. And uh, I liked it too, Mike. And I, like you said, dude, I was so disturbed by this movie. Oh. It's a movie that you think about a couple of days later, like something about it. You, you kind of, pulls away at you and you're like jesus man that you kind of have to take a cold and a hot shower after that was watching raw it. it was Elvis, raw. elvis's it, granddaughter was in it too right and even though it was set post-world war ii it was incredibly topical and felt incredibly relevant to what to what we all are still experiencing yeah absolutely no it, it, it was really good really well made and uh very disturbing well acted well written it's based on a book it is based on a book um 
if you watch anything on Netflix, don't watch Cuties. Watch that movie. Oh, Jesus. You know? <laughs> that shit. Um, so we, we want to talk about you – were, you had some stuff to say, Mike, about Kamala Harris, Joe Biden's running mate on California. Her record should be more examined as attorney general and then, you know, oh, U.S. Yeah. Senator, Willie Brown, everything. I mean, no, nobody's really talking about this stuff, but, you know, her uh, – I don't know what you want to call him, her political guru or <laughs> – her, you know, Willie Brown, who who was warned not to fly on 9-11. Nobody's really been able to explain that. Anybody listening, you can go and Google that. Just Google Willie Brown warned not to fly on 9-11. Um, you know, I'm not saying – no one's really been able to explain where it came from or why he was warned. Um, you know, I mean, there's their relationship was uh, obviously very transactional. You know, she could have been with probably anybody other than him, but – you know, not anybody could introduce her to a gang of donors and billionaires, you know. And when she was attorney general of California, she knew that Sirahan Sirahan did not shoot RFK in the pantry at the Ambassador Hotel. She was presented new evidence by uh, Sirahan's defense team, which includes Dr. William F. Pepper, who's the uh, brilliant barrister and lawyer who represented the Martin Luther King family um, during their trial. Uh, to prove uh, government complicity in Martin Luther King's assassination, which is a whole other can of worms. You can read the book, Active State. Um, there's a lot of great information out there about that. Um, no, one's, no one's talking about that. Um, you know, she was presented acoustic uh, evidence about the shooting, as well as ballistic evidence. During Surahan's trial, the ballistic evidence was totally, totally base, basically forged and stacked against him. And Lisa Pease lays this all out in her brilliant book. Um, a lie too big to fail, which, you know, I've been talking about for the last year. And I, I really hope that anyone who has any interest in this would, would read that book and they would probably come to similar conclusions. Um, and then, you know, as Tulsi brilliantly pointed out, Tulsi Gabbard and uh, the debate that pretty much sunk Kamala's presidential ambitions until Biden resurrected her because he knew he needed to do that for optics, um, locking up people for, you know, marijuana and then laughing about uh, smoking it herself. So, you know, just a lot of hypocrisy. A lot of problems there. Yeah. I'm not excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Are you excited about the Biden-Harris ticket, Eric? Absolutely not. I mean, it's horrible. What do you think is going to happen with the upcoming debate on Tuesday? <sighs> is that Tuesday? Yeah. It's not going to be a debate so much as it is, um, you know, two old fucking <laughs> – Guys in their seventies, grumpy, grumpy old men. Yeah, <laughs> two dudes who are you know both of the elite predator class, who are from opposing like golf courses or country clubs getting together, and one of them you know got his ticket to the country club because of who his father was and you know the money the money he had and the access and everything and he was legacy, and then the other one got in there because he was scrappy and overcame a lot, but was you know not any smarter or better than the other guy, but he's there and you got to give him credit. He got there and they're just, they're just going to fucking Trump's Trump's going to just berate him, dude. And Biden's going to try to handle the onslaught unless I don't know, man, what can they get? What can they do to Biden to help him match Trump's energy level and his, how much of a gladiator he is? Cause he's made for prime time. Mike Donald Trump is literally made for prime time. And they're act, They're literally putting the greatest showman who ever lived up against a fucking corpse. You know, <laughs> Biden's a show. <laughs> right? Am I Trump? wrong? No, he's a show of what he used to be. I mean, they're both. Let's be honest, dude. They're both twenty years past their their burn date, like past their prime. 
Like, dude, even even in the 2016 2008 election, Biden's just not the same person. Right. I mean, cognitively and and uh, yeah, I mean, he, they have to have a teleprompter. The teleprompter goes down. And let's say the same thing for Trump. Trump liked to talk about how Obama was the teleprompter in chief. Guess who uses a teleprompter all the time? Trump does. And the guy that has to manage the teleprompter and make sure that it, you know, <laughs> that it follows the cadence of, of Trump's uh, speech patterns in his voice, that's got to be a tough job. I hope he's getting compensated well, and I hope he has, like, mental insurance. <laughs> he has good mental health insurance, man. Did, didn't you read about him, Mike? He started as a social media czar. Or he's the guy who originated Trump's Twitter or showed him what Twitter What What the hell is Twitter? Tell me what Twitter is. What's Twitter? Yeah, he worked his way he worked his way up for the King dude. He didn't just get that job overnight, man. And God, that job sounds stressful. I think it's a political article or it's uh, there's some article about that, but I just, just the mechanics and, and, and the nuts and bolts of the Trump presidency and the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, the turnover rate is so freaking high um, for so many people that have been in his orbit. It's uh, you know, it's amazing to see um, anybody who's, who survived the entire term and who was there like, uh, Last time around during the campaign, I mean, you got uh, obviously you got Scaramucci, you got the Mooch who did not last long, and uh, one of the things that he talked about recently that he was proud of was was that he was able to do a number two at the White House in the bathroom, and he was like <laughs> he was like texting and calling people when he did that. So, you know, that that's kind of where we are in 2020 with a lot of uh, a lot of the people that are orbiting the you know power. There, uh, a lot of it's very petty. Um, it kind of plays out almost like a, uh, you know, episode of 13 reasons why, or like a, high, a great high school drama. And, um, I don't know, I, I think going into the debate on Tuesday, you're going to see, you're going to see Trump very charged up, very raring to go. They're going to get him on they're just the right amount of speed. They got to get him on and they're going to give Biden the right amount of steroids and they're going to try and like level it out. And I hope there's some kind of crowd there, man, because it's, the crowd energy, man, even though the, those assholes at the commission of debates tell the crowd not to cheer, man, there's moments like where, like last time around where Trump was like, because you'd be in jail. And then the crowd just went nuts. Do we need moments like that, man? We need to inject that. In. Well, that's going to happen. He's going to hit him on his son. And you know what, dude, I think Trump is so shameless and so going to do it. I think he's going to bring up um, Biden's living son. Uh, Hunter Biden and his drug problems and his, <laughs> his, his, um, his record, his criminal record, like things, things that have happened to him. There's, there's a great piece. I think it's in the New Yorker where you can read all about uh, Hunter Biden and how Joe throughout his whole career has just had to deal with it and, you know, mitigate everything and, you know, be the, uh, be the bastion and the, you know, do what he had to do. So Trump, Trump's opposition people, you know, they they play, they play for real. They don't care who their opponent is, whatever it is, they're going to find out what their weakness is and they're going to go beyond exploiting it. They're going to like literally wallpaper it across the country digitally on Twitter, on social media. They'll get it on Instagram, um, Facebook, obviously, you know, YouTube, and then they'll scattershot it to all of the, uh, you know, right-wing alternative media that, that are part of that ecosystem and exist there. And they'll all get it all out. And it's going to be, it'll be brilliant. 
and incredible. And Trump will get one or two good sound bites or punchlines like because you'd be in jail or she used acid wish. And uh, he's going to make it stick to Biden for the last it's I think we're at what under 40 days till the election. Yeah, we're very close. And he's definitely going to have sound bites that he's going to throw out there. And they're probably already working on that. They're not they're not researching policy. They're not looking no. at like the, the nitty gritty of issues. They've never done that. They want to know what's going to have a spike in the ratings. What's going to deliver a response? What's going to be played out in that news cycle, you know, for the next 24, I don't know, two to 24 hours. I mean, the thing moves so quickly now, dude. It's like, since we started this podcast back in 2015, our media landscape is completely different than it was half a decade ago. That's true. But he's, he's going he's gonna to go viral, Mike, and he'll make it stick and, you know, he'll be the sensation. It's going to help him get more votes. <laughs> it is. You know, he's, he's attacking the Postal Service, Eric. I mean, he's, he, he's incredible. He's attacking institutions that are not usually like political, but he kind of forces them to become political. You know, it's amazing. No, it's going to be entertaining. We know it's going to be entertaining, Eric. Yeah. So what are uh, Mickey Rourke's new films, Mike? What, tell, give us a work update. What's he doing? How old is he? What's going on in his career? Yeah, so uh, you know, Rourke uh, just recently got back from uh, uh, Greece. He was he was filming a uh, a movie in Greece called Man of God, where he plays a uh, he has a small role as a uh, patient in a hospital who who claims to have been uh, cured by a roommate who was you know who was a, a man of God. So you know, I'll watch it. I mean, he's probably only he's probably only going to be in one scene. You know, he's not doing the big Hollywood blockbusters that much anymore and he has a new one um, that he's doing with Bella Thorne where he plays a corrupt sheriff he's going on our OnlyFans <laughs> <laughs> I was on your OnlyFans page I want to I do an interview about that Just what he, has another one with, with, he has another one with Lou Diamond Phillips and Sean Astin called Adverse where he plays like a mafia boss it's like an uber it's like a uh, it looks bad I'm going to watch it though he plays, he plays the uh, mafia boss of like an uber station you know yeah <laughs> It doesn't look good, Eric. It's all paid for with Russian crypto. You know? Yeah, it's pretty much like direct to Redbox at this point. But fucking incredible! Um, you support yeah. it, like of course I will. Anything he does, I want to. I want to look at. So I just want to tell you. And then we drove. So yeah, that's what works up to. And he's. Uh, you asked me how old he was. He's. I think he's sixty-seven. Yeah, he, it's kind he, of in dispute, Mike, isn't it? Yeah, well, he's like, I don't want you to, you know, think that I'm this age when I'm really, I'm not that age. Or you want to try, I mean, he, he's been asked about it in interviews. He's, he tried to play coy about it. So he's, he's in his mid to late 60s. I mean, he did a great uh, podcast with a uh, Irish boxer um, that I, that was very revealing and, and uh, just beyond like the paparazzi and um, what are those people called that uh, follow MZ. Yeah, TMZ, they're very, those people are surface level. They don't really, they wouldn't be able to ask him about like Diner or Angel Heart or like any of the really good. Or movies. White Sands. Anything, yeah. He's like, I'm she, I motherfucking A, Johnny. <laughs> His speech, if you guys look up, uh, type in on YouTube, Mickey Rourke, White Sands. He's got a great scene. It's almost 30 years old where he pretty much sums up the military industrial complex. and He does it with style and panache. Back off, War Child. Seriously. Seriously. Yeah, we watched Point Break again, too. Another movie from 1991, which is Catherine Bigelow. People talk about Hurt Locker. Dude, Point Break. Point we're, break. On that. we're on that right now, Mike, aren't we? Yeah, we go through kicks. You know, Back. this time three years ago with Steven Seagal. 
Vladimir Putin is one of the greatest living world leaders, but also one of the greatest world leaders of all time. And he did that because he gave him citizenship because there's definitely rape charges, dude, here stateside. Yeah, he, he's he's better off with the mafia he's attached to to just be a Russian citizen overtly and have done the ceremony live on TV with Putin. It's like a, it's like being made. It's like you're you're made now to a certain level. You know, you're an underling, but you're you're a very important part of my regime, and my mafia. <laughs> and and Seagal, you know, then there's there's outtakes pictures of Seagal giving Putin bunny ears and clowning around. Because they like, love I, each other. I, the thing is, Mike, they love each other. And Seagal based a lot of his persona off like Russian mafia thugs, you know, like strong arming people or being connected to that or fighting it, but being part of it, having one foot in each world. And then Putin's informed of the West in our culture through Steven Seagal movies. <laughs> oh, dude, that's, a a, dude. that's <laughs> right? such a great analysis of it. Well, like, like we said in our comedy show there a couple years ago, man, there's like, there's like four phases to Steven Seagal. There's early on where like people, is he Japanese? They're like, oh, okay. So he had like a dojo. So he's Japanese. And it's like, oh, wait, no, he's not. And they're like, oh, wait, no, 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 no. He's Native American. Yeah, no, he's... Yeah, he's like, you know, he did like an environmental movie and like he's like, he, you know, he's Native American. He, no, he, he had he had Choctaw no, no, he's beats. Afri- he's, 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 he's African. He's Gl- African-American. When he Glimmer Man. Movies. Yeah, he did those movies where he wore a do-rag and pretended to be black. It was like fucking ridiculous. And then now it's just like, no, 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 no. He's Russian. So there's those are the four phases of Seagal. And, and, and I think there's value in all four phases. And I think people, <laughs> people should watch... Um, Films from all four phases, whether it's Half Past Dead, Marked for Death, uh, Glimmer Man, uh, Fire, Fire Down Below, um, Under, Under Siege. Siege. Sam, like, here's, what, here's what I was thinking. Here's what I was thinking. Gary Busey with tits. <laughs> no, he peaked in like 93. I, I want, I'm going to say like, like Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. That was like Ooh. 95, People 94. watched it and were like, wow, he actually agreed to do this and they realized it was a joke. Yeah, because Under Siege, Mike, is, is literally one of the greatest action movies of all time. I mean, Arnon Milshan made sure they got a battleship for that, dude. They had some, they had a floating, like, Pentagon, and they let they let him cut loose with knives as Casey Ryback, dude. I'm just a cook. I'm just a cook. They're like, oh, my God, he's special forces. He's the only thing we got on that ship right now. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's sitting there, like, eating, like, it's like, dude. Dude, the thing became, was already parodied by, like, the mid-90s. So at this point now, dude, they have like they have like a black like golf astroturf rug that they put on his head, like because if if you look at real photos of him from the late eighties when he was doing like golf, it's receding receding in the front. Now when you look at it, dude, it's just like a if you look at the front part of his hairline, like near you know near like where a calic is, there's a rug there. There's like a a a dyed black like mini golf astroturf part of the astroturf metro dome. Yeah, that's what he has now for hair. But if you look at it in the late 80s, dude, it was thinning naturally. Right. Like, it wasn't right. there. Oh. So it, they, oh. they film him in the shadows, dude, from the waist up. It's fucking incredible. How old is he now, Mike? Seagal's got to be. Oh, he's got to be like Rourke. Yeah, 67. 67. Almost 70. Yeah, 67, Mike, 68. When, when Van Damme was asked about him being in Expendables. Oh, he, he was not going to be in that because he was in bad shape. You know, he's, yep. well, he's, he's not good. He said he's not good. He's like, he's because he is not good like me. He was asked, Mike, like, why wasn't Steven Seagal in these? And he said, yeah. what did he say, Mike? Yeah, that's basically in a nutshell what he said. 
the thing about Jean-Claude Van Damme, he's always been on the cocaine diet. Oh, oh, totally, dude. He, he did a really cool music video a couple of years ago for a French duo. Uh, I think they're called Aarons, or I, I forget what they're called, man. Check it out on YouTube, man. It's, it's Van Damme dancing in a parking lot. It's fucking incredible. He's what, 60? Yeah, he's about 60. I like Sudden Death, man. The hockey movie he did where it's like, I don't know, I don't know where they filmed it. They filmed it at the Melon in Pittsburgh. It was at the, the Melon? The Pittsburgh the Penguins. I'd like to look into the connections to how they made that happen, that whole deal. To get a Hollywood movie what to kind advertise. Of concessions deal. Mar- yeah. Mario Lemieux, man. Let's look into Mario Lemieux. He fucking made moves to make that happen, and whoever the owner was. And I bet Yager, I bet Yager, Yager was friends with some of they those They probably called in, in some kind of gambling debt Yager had to get him to be in the movie with his mullet, you know? It's fucking, it's fucking incredible, Mike. See, when you look at this world, the way things are done and the way they come together and the way they're made and the connections, dude, you're, nothing surprises you. You know, when you see Trump in Home Alone 2 lost in New York, it's down the hall up to the left. I mean, that was when he became president in that moment, pretty much. There's many moments that that solidified. So only Rosie O'Donnell. That's where we are. We're under 40 days from um, Babylon. And uh, I I think right now where we're sitting, based on everything that Donald Trump's going to get reelected. What do you think? Yeah, I tend to agree. There's no enthusiasm for Joe Biden. I mean, from what I, what I see up here in New Hampshire, when I'm driving around all parts of the state, it's fucking for every fucking 10 Trump signs and flags and American flags and other paraphernalia for Trump. There's one for Biden. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Then you when know, we crossed over to the mass border. There was more Biden signs, but, but, but Biden supporters are not as enthusiastic for him as Trump supporters are for Trump. That's the reality. Definitely not. Absolutely not. If you're going to go by polls, yes, the polls, most of the polls have Biden ahead, but they also had Hillary Clinton ahead at this time by a bigger margin. So Florida's in play, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Dude, I won't be surprised, Mike, if Trump wins New Hampshire. He could. I think, you know, he didn't win it. Hillary won it last time. We are a swing state. I don't know, man. There's no, I don't, there's no enthusiasm for Biden at all. Like, Mike, we skipped his event that happened on our street. Yeah, there was 40 people. I think it was like 40 people. And this is the same venue where we've seen Huntsman, McCain, Liz Warren, Bernie, Bernie. Uh, Ron Paul. Yeah. And Biden had less than 50 people show up to a venue that like, holds it was almost like three, a thousand. It was like three rows. And Wow. And then we went there, Mike, for, for Pocahontas and Bernie in this cycle. And oh, it, was, wow. it was a rock show. Mm-hmm. Warren, you know, I'm not a big Liz Warren fan. She had some enthusiasm in the state, in our neck of the woods. I mean, for her to get 1,000 people to come here in Peterborough in the middle of the week is, is impressive. When it was raining? People waiting yeah. out in the rain? Yeah. No, Grandma Oatmeal was great, dude. She was polished. <laughs> she gave a great performance. I mean, I, I, it didn't really inspire me, but... You know, you know us, man. We like to go see everybody. We have seen everybody from Tom Tancredo to Dennis Kucinich to Donald Trump. We've seen them all. Any, any presidential candidate who comes to our neighborhood, we're going to go see them. We're going to shake their hands, and we're going to try and get them on our podcast. And that's what we're all about. We want conversations with everybody. We want all points of view out there. We want robust discussion, debate, and, uh, you know, continued, you know, freedom of speech. And I just want to point – we talked about – touched on Ron Paul – I'm very happy that he's okay. That was uh, when I heard that he had a medical emergency during one of his live streams, I was crestfallen. 
crestfallen because yeah, that sucks. Ron, you know, it, you don't, you don't, you don't want to say, "Oh, I have a hero," and I, ha-, you know, because no one's perfect. But man, Ron Paul has been a huge in, in, inspiration and influence on us for many years. He's he's legitimate. He walks. He not only talks the talk, he walks the walk. He's a decent human being in politics, which is so rare for both parties. And I, I, I hope that he recovers and he's okay. I mean, he's, you know, he, he, he's a voice that needs to be in, in the discussion. Yeah, Ron Paul talked about things that ill, in effect, uh, adversely our system and our society that most others don't even understand or know about. And Ron Paul, you know, with candor, uh, spoke openly about him and challenged him directly with a national audience. And, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was inspiring and it was beyond party politics. Trump did that, but he brought it down to a NASCAR level. He wasn't talking mm-hmm. about Austrian school of economics or blowback or maybe why we shouldn't have all these military bases and we shouldn't be, uh, allowing the fed to run rampant and, uh, you know, the surveillance state and, so I have so much love and respect for Ron Paul and uh, a lot of great memories of his 2008 and 2012 campaign um, here in New Hampshire. And uh, we, we, you know, we wish him all the health and strength and, and recovery. And uh, it looks like he's going to, going to be okay. Yeah. He'll, he'll recover, man. Ron Paul, Ron Paul's awesome. And he's, he's a huge inspiration. Unbel- he's like unbelievable. We're, we, so we, what do you think about the King and his re- well, I was going to say we haven't even touched on Vanguard. Oh God! Well, Donald, yeah. If if you want to, like, my, you and you and I, Mike, will not bet against each other. I, I will bet anybody a hundred dollars Donald Trump's going to win again. That's that's what I I'm mean, saying. Forty days out, Mike. That's what I'm saying. That's where we are right now. And of course, there's going to be October surprise. You know that both parties are, mm. both camps are looking. But I really feel like anything that they throw at Trump, if there's a tape that gets leaked or there's a, you know, anything like it's, dude, I mean, there's been credible sexual assault charges against him that haven't, they're, they, they're in the news cycle for a day. One of, them, hours one of them just landed for a day, which was at the uh, uh, tennis match there that was in New York. Yeah. And it seemed pretty credible. Lots of evidence. Like it was cr- pretty photos. credible. Yeah. Photos and, you know, testimony and shit, but, uh, nothing gone, gone, gone in 60 seconds with Nick Cage. Well, people are getting into their camps. They're solidifying on the left. They're solidifying on the right. And they don't care if, if either of their candidates are guilty of, of that behavior on both sides they're going to have talking points and gaggers and they're going to fundraise off of this issue and they're going to fucking come at it from this angle. So we're in full gladiator mode, man. And it's exciting. Uh, this is definitely, this is definitely a different election than it's ever been since we've been following this for, for 20 years um, here in New Hampshire with the front row seat that we've had. Uh, but, you know, I think Trump's going to get reelected, but if Biden does win, I, I, I'm not going to be totally surprised if that's the case, but just, Based on conversations I've had with people um, privately and publicly, man, Trump still has a ton of support. Yeah. He, he, he has a ton of support and uh, it's hard. The threshold of what he could do or say or be accused of and have that be detrimental to him, man, is, I don't know. Yeah. There's not it's really a lot, of, <clears throat> not a lot of punch or panache, you know? So. Well, uh, we, we, I think the last thing we should talk about, Mike, is the vow and 
Vanguard. Yeah, talk so about set, Vanguard. Bring us through. Set set, uh, set us that up for us. Yeah. So <laughs> we've been talking about Nexium. So we're trafficking, sex trafficking, human trafficking, and cults and shit. Epstein's not the only game in town. Mike and I have known about this cult called Nexium for a long time, which was run by a dude named Keith Ranieri, and it was run out of Albany, New York, upstate New York. And he had the backing of the Bronfman sisters, who are the heirs of the Bronfman Seagram's Liquor in Canada, Fortune, which is a multi-billion dollar company, worldwide distribution, Seagram's, booze. You've, chances are they've gotten you drunk. <laughs> and um, my God. Uh, so Ranieri was the charismatic cult leader in the sweats with the headband. And the funders were the Bronfmans, um, Sarah, and I forget the other one's name. Claire. Claire. And their father was, was their father Edgar Jr. Or one of those dudes? Edgar, yeah. Edgar Bronfman. Connected to the mega, the Bronfmans are part of the mega group. And the mega group, so Les Wexner from the mega group funded Jeffrey Epstein. And the Bronfman family of billionaires and they're from Canada of the mega group funded Nexium. <laughs> yeah, Charles, Charles Bronfman. Yeah. He, he formed the, the, the mega group with, with Les Wexner, what you just said. Yep. So this group of very wealthy billionaires, um, it's interesting to see that they're involved in blackmail and human trafficking uh, money laundering and really getting people to uh, kind of bend to their will and behave in a way um, that benefits like a small clique of people. So at Nexium and this, it's called The Vow. This series uh, comes out with a new episode every Sunday night and it's on HBO. I believe it's HBO. You know, there was this cult leader who, who they were like, oh, it's not a cult. He's not a cult. It's about, you know, it's about empowerment. It's about bettering yourself and, and uh, achieving your goals and, and uh, putting your pain and, and all of your insecurities and your, you know, your weaknesses, like you, you can actually cast them aside. You can just, you can will that away. And basically what he was doing was he was getting these, these, um, these beautiful young women and, and, and they, they targeted women and men who were already successful and already had, you know, strong personalities and, and uh, uh, success in their life. He targeted those people because they were, they'd achieved a certain level of success, but they were still looking for something. They still felt like an empty. Stuck. They felt, still they, felt stuck. They felt a void. It didn't matter if they had millions of dollars. They felt a void in their life. Or some success with acting, Mike. Yeah. I mean, he got, he got the gal from Smallville there, uh, Allison Mack, you right. know, he got her to God. The, dude, the This is, this footage is like, this is mind blowing. The footage of their first meeting is, you know, he gets her, he gets her, man. I mean, he, he is like, he's taken the David Koresh, uh, um, Apple white model and the other guy there, uh, um, Jim Jones and perfected it. He, he, he studied those cult leaders. He knows how to push the right buttons. He knows just what to say. And he gets these people hooked and, he gets them believing like they're pushing themselves and they're doing things they've never been able to do before and they're empowering themselves. Meanwhile, he's collecting blackmail from these people. He's getting other women to secure blackmail, whether it's photos or 
you know, family dr- drama or secrets. And, and he's storing that. He almost has like his own little intelligence hub to control and manipulate all these people. And this thing goes on for 10, 15 years, 20 years with some of these people. And it's unbelievable. And it plays out in the show, The Vow. And um, it just shows you that no matter who you are or what your wealth bracket is or what you think you have for intelligence or whatever, you, you can still be manipulated. So, you know, be on guard. It, it's a very interesting series. Yeah, I, it's, it's scary. So what's the, what's the best movie you've watched recently? Probably that Netflix movie, man. Devil all the time. You know, I'm not going to yeah. say it's good or bad, but it, it leaves it leaves an impression on you. Um, yeah, as far as new movies, I, I really liked uh, the superhero thing's been over overdone and it's tired. But Birds of Prey was I enjoyed Birds of Prey. Mm. The uh, Harley Quinn, the Harley Quinn solo movie was awesome. That was like the best DC mo- like movie in a long time, probably since Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Honestly. It had a, it was entertaining. It was uh, I think it was rated R, so they were going for a Deadpool motif, but it was good. It was really good, you know. I mean, the Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman movie should just be called IDF, you know. <laughs> oh, Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot, you know. Propaganda. Um, so, yeah, it's propaganda. Michael Keaton. What, what did you? Michael Keaton's playing Batman again. So Michael Keaton's coming back as Bruce Wayne slash Batman for a multiverse film that they're going to do about the flash. Uh, Ezra Miller has already played the flash in the recent justice league film. Um, They're going to continue that, but they're also going to bring back Ben Affleck for that film. But then as an offshoot, you know, to that, which is kind of similar to the, the, to Joker, which is what Joaquin did last year. Joaquin Phoenix as Joker, which I really enjoyed. They're doing the Batman, which is going to have like a darker, you know, take a different take on it with Robert Pattinson. So you've got Michael Keaton, Robert Pattinson, and Ben Affleck playing Batman over the course of the next two years. So, so, so the, the flash Michael Keaton callback, is that going to tap into the universe that Christopher Walken and the Shreks and Michelle Pfeiffer lived in? And Michael Keaton? Conceivably. There's going to be homages and callbacks in that series to stuff that we all know and love from Tim Burton's two Batmans? Conceivably, yeah, because it's, oh, yeah, it's oh, the multiverse. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, the te- well, speaking of Allison Mack and Nexium, so, so, sm- so they did a recent, um, uh, I don't know what, I forget what show it was, but they did some kind of multiverse thing where they had multiple versions of Superman existing in different universes. And they had, um, they had Tom Welling who was in, they had, yeah, small, yeah, Smallville. Smallville. Sorry. They had, uh, so they had Tom Welling who was in Smallville and they shot a scene with him where he's lost all his powers. He's just, he's Clark Kent. He's just Clark. Cox, Nexium took with, all his powers. Yeah. Keith Raniere fucking audited him or whatever he did with him. Can I have an SPS? You know, Keith, Keith Raniere did an SPS at Welding. <laughs> He took all his powers. He absorbed them so he could be a better volleyball player. And he gave them over to <laughs> Prefect. Prefect Prefect actually is immune to kryptonite because they took Tom Welling's powers as Superman. But then they had um, Brendan Roth in that same episode as Superman from the Man of Steel movie. That No, the uh, yeah, Superman Returns. It's, Retur- it's, Retur- it's, Retur- it's fucking Brandon Roth. 
which which brings it all full circle because Eric, you actually spent a day with Brandon Ruff. Yeah, I had dinner with him. <laughs> it's fucking Brandon Ruff. Tell that story, Eric. Well, let's close on that story. Oh Jesus! Uh, so the one big—I don't even call it a big movie, whatever it was—it was a movie. Uh, that I worked on as a driver, PA, whatever you want to call me. I drove a huge monkey, van. Monkey boy. Yeah, I drove a huge van uh, for the set of Crooked Arrows, uh, which was Brandon Routh was the lead in this movie, who was Superman. That's what his big thing was known for. This had The year that I did this was uh, 2011, probably spring or summer of 2011. And it was cool. My buddy... Um, who's worked in the film industry. I went to college with him at Franklin Pierce. Uh, he's done, he's, he's worked, he's PA and worked on a lot of cool movies. He's the one who got me this gig for the day. And um, yeah, so I drove a van up and down a mountain. I think it was Blue Hill Mountain outside of Boston. I forget what town we were in. And it was uh, Crooked Arrows. The premise of this movie is Brandon Routh leads a lacrosse team of all Native American students who it's basically Mighty Ducks if it was at a fucking academy or a school with an all Native American team and they were playing lacrosse instead of hockey. And, uh, you know, I heard, so I asked, I asked my buddy who set me up with a gig. I'm like, who's the, who's the most famous person in it? You know, Brandon Routh and uh, Gil Birmingham from Twilight was gonna, is in it. So they, you know, they, that's right. To go back to Twilight. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Native American angle, you got to have Gil Birmingham in it. He gives it legitimacy. Yeah, well, he was in The Lone Ranger, too. He played Red Knee in The Lone Ranger. And he was, right. yeah, they, they're bringing him in, you know. And he was real nice. And I drove him up and down the mountain all day. And one of his um, one of his coats still had, like, a tag on it with a price tag on it from wardrobe. And I'm like, you should, you know, I said, before you go film the scene, man, you should probably cut that. He's like, cut what? And, was, you know, I said, get that tag cut. And he immediately called to some PA and screamed. And some monkey came, some some helper monkey PA, you know. Uh, gopher came and fucking cut it quickly she cut it quickly it was incredible it was fun it would have been in the scene though if you had, it would have been like the cup in game of thrones the starbucks cup <laughs> it would have been <laughs> that or they would have had to cut and you know been like while they were rolling fucking cut this tag off his wardrobe that he just put on on the van up the mountain <laughs> that's incredible and then you did you actually sat down and had like dinner with, with like craft services with them and and yeah. superman was just kind of he was in range mode he was just kind of like vacant and vapid yeah he was just eating and didn't have much to say and i just said hi to him sat right next to him and that, that was pretty much it man we weren't gonna get anything out of him it's ridiculous he he really looked he looked the part of the classic superman like christopher reeve like he, he really looked that but like performance wise it was kind of like not that inspiring. I, I thought that Tom Welling was great, man, as Clark Kent, like in the show. And we kind of grew up watching that show. Yeah, it was pretty fucking stupid, but, but it, it was also, it was also kind of good. It was also kind of good. Is Dean Cain MAGA? Yeah, oh, yeah, I think so. Dean Cain, like, was Oh, that's Superman. right. He did, he did the adventures of Lois and Clark. Who was the woman in that? Uh, no, the best thing he ever did was when he played Scott Peterson. <laughs> I mean, the Lifetime fucking... That was incredible. He did Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Wow. Yeah. Him and um, uh, who, who, Terry Hatcher. Terry uh, Hatcher. Desperate Housewives. Terry Hatcher. Right? Yeah. Was she in Desperate? Yeah, like one eye kind of got collagen. It kind of got collagen <laughs> shut. <collagen> shut. <laughs> I think he's MAGA. I mean, he's NRA. We know he's NRA. We know he's Scott Peterson. Um, 
I'm pretty sure. Yeah. He, no, he endorsed Trump. He definitely endorsed Trump. So he's got that um, Scott Bayo effect, you know, mm. Let me look at that incredible stuff. Game. I mean, who, who, who's open Hollywood MAGA now, dude, in 2020? James Woods. Tim Allen. Dude, James Woods' Twitter is on fire. Based. His Twitter is on fire. So Tarantino's probably MAGA. You think so? Yeah, he probably fucking loves Trump, dude. He he probably can't wait to work with Trump when he's at, out of his presidency. This yeah. is this is what I'm wondering, Mike. What's the first movie Donald Trump does after he's president? Because wow. Air, they're going to reboot Air Force One, and they need him. They need Steve Bannon to direct the Air Force One reboot, where our Sultan, who who was actually president, but now he's ex-president, but he's acting in movies. Fucking tops Harrison Ford's performance in Air Force One, but who would be the enemies on trying to hijack? Gonna be Ru- it ain't going to be Russia. Oh. Russia, they're going to be they're going to be flying the plane. It's it's going to be California. It's going to be, be from, it's going to be socialists and communists from, from Nancy Pelosi's district. That shithole country. Now, Mike, you could see him doing an Air Force One remake, or you know what, a reboot or a reimagined. What would it be, Mike? Well, I mean, he's not going to be, he's just going to, they're going to have shots of him, dude. Like he's going to be in his underwear, like, and he'll be dressed from the waist up. They'll have him at the desk with a, with a green screen behind him. And they'll probably just film at a, a Trump tower. Um, and they'll get like a body double with padding to kind of do like the action scenes. But I think what he's going to do, you know, they're going to have some hybrid. They've already kind of launched it with what Don Jr. is doing with social media and, his shows. I forget what it's called triggered, right? Isn't it based on his book triggered? Yeah. You're going to see the King. You're going to see the King kind of make like a new Fox news kind of thing, you know, because he's even kind of broke with a lot of Fox news hosts other than like Hanley and Tucker. They can, they can be, they can be very tough on me. They say some very bad things. Sometimes they're fake. Some, he's like, sometimes they're fake. That's what he would say, Mike. Sometimes. That's incredible. So this is where we are about 40 days out from the election. And uh, maybe let's do another one of these again. But before yeah. we wrap up, do you got anything else on your mind or you want to touch on for a week ending uh, coming into the first week of October? Everyone, 2020. you know, I hope you enjoyed the debate and watch it. It's not really a debate, but it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be interesting. It'll be fodder until the next one. I just wish Joe Jorgensen, the libertarian, nominee was in the debates she's gone the she's on the ballot we have a woman Femi- we're feminists on this man who championed women being promoted we got a woman on all 50 states on the ballot in all 50 states her name is joe jorgensen and i agree with her a lot politically she has a lot of great things to say and maybe we'll try and get her on the podcast but look her up man try and try and uh, check out joe jorgensen she's great she plays hockey. Too. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. And this podcast, let's talk about Julian Assange and that. What's going on with his case? We don't want to have to get in that right now. Oh, I want to bring on Slow News Newsday for that, Steve. We'll get, we'll I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the the defund the police movement, and we were seeing a lot of that in our town. We'll get into it next time. We're going to leave you hanging. Thank right. you guys so much for joining us. This has been great, Eric. It's been fun to just talk to you, just to. Back to basics, freewheeling kind of conversation, and we'll keep doing it. All right. See you next time, folks. Take care.